You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Good morning, and, and uh, so good to be with you. My name is Ricky from Harvest Bible Chapel. Uh, in Buffalo, and it's just a joy uh, to be with you this morning. And um, some of you I know, and some of you maybe I, I don't know. I see faces uh, that uh, that I don't recognize. But I see so many that I do, and you greeted me this morning. And and uh, it's just an absolute privilege to be back. I, uh, my wife and I and our kids we have such fond memories here, and um, you guys kind of sent us out and and with great faith and a great um, encouragement and a lot of prayer uh, to plant and harvest buffalo and and. Uh, I'm sitting there on the front road, almost had tears in my eyes thinking about just that that was several years ago and not knowing going to Buffalo, what God would do there, but God is so faithful, and the songs that we're singing are so true and unstoppable, unshakable. God is who we are, and if I, we didn't have confidence that those words were true, then church planting would be a whole lot more scarier, and, it would, and I'm not sure anybody would want to go out, because we uh, I sure don't have anything to offer of myself, and if God doesn't do a work in Buffalo or Ottawa or here, man, we don't have a prayer, right? And so, so glad that God is, um, is, what, he is what he says that he is, and God is working in our church in Buffalo, and and he is uh, growing uh, the ministry that is there. We're on the cusp of installing our own local elders, which is a big step um, for us. And that's just a huge um, piece we're so fired up about. And, and we're launching some new small groups in, in the fall and, and praying that God has he's brought some youth to our church as well. We're about 18 months in at this point, in case you didn't know. And so having some youth that God is bring, building and sending our way and getting a chance to develop and grow them, we're praying that God would open up a door for us to get a ministry like that started um, for uh, them and they're fired up. And uh, many of some of you uh, went and uh, helped out my family, my, my parents and I, uh, uh, my family, my wife's family, all from Florida. And there was a big hurricane that came through, and, and my parents' house was devastated. And many of you kind of went out and, and uh, it, like, gave the call to Pastor Daryl, hey, I need help. My family's house has kind of been destroyed. Would, would you like to get involved and help in some way? And it was amazing just to see uh, his response and your elders' response and your response to want to jump in at the moment's notice. And we had harvest churches um, from Buffalo and from Canada and every kind of area in between, flooding my parents' house to help them in Florida to get them reestablished and get their house uh, kind of gutted out in a good footing so they could begin to build again. And I just want to... uh, tell you that God has been faithful to them, and he has provided for every need, and their house is being um, uh, kind of got on a good footing and going back again, and they're so encouraged. But I want you to know there was a testimony to the neighbors around, because not everybody had a church family that was coming around them to minister into that way, and they're wondering to themselves, why are Canadians showing up on our shores here in Florida, and why are these other people from other harvests, like, who would do these things, and who would love people in that way? And what did my mom and dad get to say? Jesus Christ, right? And you get an opportunity to share the gospel with them. And so sometimes what is so terrible in an experience, God ends up using for gospel influence and witness. And we believe that God has done that, and we want him to, to do that much more. And so um, thank you for your prayer and faithfulness of that for us. And uh, just want to give you a report that God is working. Uh, and that's probably the best thing that I can say about what's happening in our church, isn't it? If you could say, hey, God is at work, doesn't matter what else stuff is happening, if God is there and he is present, and you can see his presence with you and see him working, then it doesn't matter what else. Like, that's the best report you possibly can bring. And so I bring that to you this morning from Harvest Buffalo, that God is moving um, there. But who wants to get in God's word? 
right? Enough of talking about Ricky, enough of talking about other stuff, but let's talk about God's Word. Why don't we do that? If you have your Bibles, we turn to Titus chapter number 2. Titus chapter number 2, and while uh, we're going to be in that place in Scripture... Titus chapter number two. And so if you get to um, the Gospels, you want to keep going. Get to the Corinthians, you want to keep going. And then the pastoral letters of Timothy. And, and then you get to Titus um, chapter number two. And, and while you're turning there, I want to tell you this morning about a word uh, that you absolutely have um, to know. I did a little Google research. And did you know uh, if Google is right and, and that Google is always right? But did you know that Google says there's over 170,000 words in the English language? And I'm not sure if there's a difference between Canadian English and American English, but stick with me on that. But over 170,000 words in the English language. And out of all those words, though, like there is one word that I want you to know and that you've got to know and grab a hold of. There, there's a word I want to tell you about this morning. You know the word when I say it. You know the word I'm going to, to share with you. It's a word that you've, if you've sang about and a word that you know much about. But, but this is a word that you have. If you have any hope at all of living the Christian life, if you have any hope at all of being who God wants you to be, if you have any hope, there's one word out of 170,000 words I could come share with you this morning. There's one word that you must know. And it's, word, it's a word that's here in Titus chapter number 2, verse number 11. Look right there with me. It says right there, for the grace of God has appeared. I want to talk to you this morning about the word um, grace. And uh, this most beautiful, most powerful, most amazing word that you know well. And you may say, Pastor Ricky, I know a lot about that word. But I think you'd be surprised. I was this week of going back to Titus chapter 2 of how much we may not know about the word grace. Or, or how much we may soon forget about the word of grace. And how much we need to be reminded, as uh, Jacob, uh, David said earlier about being reminded of things. I want to remind you some things about the word grace, but before we do that, why don't we um, pray and ask God to open our eyes and ears to understand new things about a word that maybe you know much about. God, we bow our hearts and bow our, our souls and bow our, our minds, Lord, and bow our will before you this morning, asking, Lord, that you might shape our thinking. God, that you might impact our hearts. God, you might change us supernaturally by your word. God, as we think about the things that you said to us here in Titus chapter 2, God, would you do uh, help us to see with fresh eyes what you have said through the Apostle Paul um, to us, for us, that we might be transformed and changed and use these uh, powerful truths about grace, Lord, to impact us. We might not walk out of here the same as when we came in this morning. Thank you for this wonderful church. Thank you for the joy it is to be with them in worship and to get your word out and study it together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Titus chapter number 2. Let's read it together. Verse number 11. I just said the first word, but there's so much that is there. Titus 2 verse 11. Paul writes this. He says, For the grace of God has appeared. It's appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself us to us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. The reason why I was able to tell you that grace is so amazing is, is part of the context that's happening in the book of Titus. And, and Paul wrote this letter to uh, Titus, and Titus was like me, just some young um, pastor and church planter on the island of Crete. And, and there were some things going on in that young church's life that were 
that were difficult. And so Paul writes to Titus. He sends Titus, and then he writes him a letter to him. And he says, Titus, I know some things are happening there. And in chapter 1, he says some families are being upset about false teaching that is taking place um, there. And, and there's some instability that is there. And there are people that are, and there's a, a difficult context and difficult culture that is there. He's writing to believers, and he's writing to a pastor in an area that, that these are almost all for sure, for most certainly, are first-generation believers. And so imagine that, like, we come from, like, a Christian heritage, and, and my grandparents are believers, and my parents are believers, and, like, we've got believers going back generations, but that wasn't the case for them. And so some things were hard. There was a context in which they lived was difficult, and the culture in which they lived was, was challenging. It was squeezing in and pressing in on the church. And so Paul sends Titus to go in, he says in chapter 1, I want you to go there. I want you to set in order the things that remain. And so families are being upset, and it's difficult there, so they need you to go in, and I want you to go in and to do these things. And so, so he does. And then he writes and said, this is what I want you um, to do. And in chapter number one, he talks about installing elders. Like That's going to bring some stability to, to the church there. And in chapter number two, he says, what also is going to bring stability to the church there on the island of Crete is if, um, if everybody in the church knows what their role is in the family. And so he's describing the church like a family, and he says, hey, I want the older men to be this way, and I want the younger women to be this way, and the young men to be this way, and I want the, the young, older women to be this way. And he gives these lists. And so there's tons of lists in the book of Titus. There's a list of qualifications for elders in chapter 1, a list for all these other categories of people that are in the family of God in chapter number 2. In chapter number 3, he gives a list of how we are to live in this culture. He says, this is how we are to live in chapter 3. Look at verse 1 and 2. Hey, be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready of every good work. And he just goes on and on and on. Like, if you're like me, I read those books, those plastics in the scripture that have a bunch of lists, and I walk away with this question. How? How can I be the godly man that you want me to be? How can I be the young man that he's telling him, uh, the young man to be there? And, and what's the answer for that? How do, how do I get to that place? And I'm challenged by them. Lord, I want to be that, and maybe you are too. I want to be a kind and gracious, submissive wife. I, I want to be the, the man of God that he wants me to be, whether I'm older or younger. doesn't matter. I want to be that way. But God, I'm trying, and every time I try, I seem to fail, and it's difficult. And so what's the answer for me? Is it to try harder? And if I came to you this morning and I said, hey, if this is not, if you're, this is who God wants you to be, and this is who you are, and how to get from here to there is the answer, hey, Pastor Ricky came and told me the answer is just, I got to try harder. And that would not be good news. And so in the middle of all of that stuff that he tells them to do and tells Titus to be, the heart of the letter is what I just read to you in Titus 2, verse 11, that this, that's when grace comes in. He says, hey, how is this going to be possible? He says, I want to tell you about this word, Grace. And so here's our big idea for this morning. If we can wrap our minds around this to walk away and say, and say this, here's our big idea that the grace of God is the engine that drives discipleship. If I'm going to be discipled to be the man of God or discipled to be the elder of God or discipled to be living in the culture in which I live and, and your culture is hard just like my culture is hard, like how am I going to be that way? And Paul's like, hey, the grace of God is what's going to drive that. And I hope, I'm not sure how much you know. I've learned so much about grace here um, recently, but whole songs have been written about the grace um, of God. And you say, well, what's so amazing about that? I want us to walk through that. In verse number 11, this is one big, long sentence that Paul gives here. It begins with the word grace, and there's a, a lot that is here. And we're going to try to unpack what um, Paul has written here, but there's a, a facet of grace that I want you um, to know, and this might be one that you want to tuck away and write somewhere, but here's the first thing we learn about grace. 
is God's grace is the method of saving me. God's grace saves me. Uh, Look what he says there in verse number 11. He says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And when Paul says and mentions here that the grace of God has appeared, what's he referring to? Like, when did the grace of God appear? He's talking about the first coming of Jesus Christ into the world. He says at that time, the grace that God has and the grace and who he is appeared. Now, what does that mean? The word appeared there is not saying that it it started there. He's actually saying that this is something that God's always been gracious and God's always been kind and God's always been willing to forgive and all the things we know. God's always been that way. And you see glimpses of that in the Old Testament. But he is saying there was a point in time when the grace of God became so apparent and so obvious. Why? Because the grace of God, who he is, took on flesh and became a man, the person of Jesus Christ. You could actually see grace on display as the son of God, who John says was full of grace, came into the world. He says the grace of God has appeared to us. It became visible to us. It was revealed to us like no other time in history is when Jesus Christ came. This was like, I think about this, it was kind of like when a big movie is coming out, right? When a big movie, what comes out before that? Like trailers come out and and previews come out and and you watch a little preview here and a little trailer there and and you're getting excited and the community around you and you can't wait to go. But there is a point in time which the movie is revealed and the movie comes out and you are amazed and you're awed by that. And he's using language that's similar to that here. There's a grace, a time which the grace of God appears. And so Paul is looking out over all in which Jesus did his life and his death and his resurrection and the good works that he did and the cross and just sums all that up in one word. He says that's grace. The grace of God has appeared unmistakably for all to see. And he calls it grace. He describes all that as grace because his grace means unmerited there's not, not one of us that merited the grace of God to come. There's not one, one of us that merited for Jesus to leave heaven to come to us. Like None of us deserve that or could cause glory to come down like that. And grace means un- unmerited. We were none worthy of it, but our gracious God and our Savior, for reasons that I don't understand and you don't fully understand either, decided not to leave us in our sin, but to come and to deliver us from our sin by grace and bringing salvation to us. He says he brings, he brings it to all people. Now, I want you to just double-click on that word salvation for a second. When we say salvation, like, what do we mean by that? Like, saved from what? You ever, you ever talk to people and try to share the gospel with them, and, and you just say you need to be saved, and, and they look at you like, well, what do you mean saved from, from what? Like, that's an important question to grab hold of, right? Like, what are we saved from? And we know for certain that God's word teaches that when he says bringing salvation, what are we saved from? We're saved from our sin. We're saved from the bondage that is there. Not just our sin, but also the shame that comes along with that and the guilt that comes along with that and the certain condemnation that comes along with that and all those things that we have carried around. Like I have this, this weight that is on my shoulders of the sin and the shame and all the things that I have done year after year after year. All that is on Ricky, and yet the grace of God has appeared and Jesus Christ has come and he has released and he has freed Ricky from that. He has freed the believer from that. He has taken it away. He has nailed it to the cross and none of that was deserved. I didn't know Jesus. Jesus existed. I wasn't looking for him, but some reason he appeared and he opened my eyes to the gospel. He says, I'm taking that sin away from you and I nailed it to the cross. That's what God has done for us. The grace of God saves me. Look what he says, it says, all people. 
And that's not saying that everybody's going to be saved. And we know the Bible teaches that in a hundred places. God doesn't save everybody. Not everybody is going to believe in the gospel. But he's saying here in context of the previous, it doesn't matter if you are an older man or a younger man or a woman or a slave or a master. He's given these different places in the body of Christ. He is just simply saying that God's grace is available to every single person. And that's awesome. Do you realize how amazing that is? That God's favor, his unmerited grace is available to every person. Like what other way and what other place does that work in your life? I have found in just my own living in life that it seems like only a certain few get things that we're talking about here. It seems like that favor and opportunities seem to go to a certain few people. And it seems like the favor and opportunities and, and, and blessing uh, goes to people, and it's based on how you look, and it's based about how much money you might have, or how smart you are, or where you come from, or who you know, or what degree that you earned, and, and all those things. And yet, like, that's the world that I live in. But what world is there where this glory and this salvation of freedom from sin and grace comes to you and unmerited has nothing to do with what you have ever done? Like, none of those things matter one bit, and yet God, he gives to you freely, unmerited. Like, man, what other way, what other place do we experience anything like that that is available to every person? Unbelievable. God is not a respecter of persons. He makes it available to every person, high or low. God's grace saves me. But check this out. Uh, there's actually more to grace. Sometimes we get so excited about God saving grace, like I do, that we actually forget about there's more to grace than just that. Uh, he's saying, that's really good, Pastor Ricky, but, but what else is there? And look what he goes on to say more. He says in verse 12, he's okay, verse 11, the grace of God has appeared. That's had happened in the past, bringing salvation for all people. Look what he says in verse 12. He says, it's training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Because we might be able to say this, not only does God's grace save me, but God's grace sanctifies me too. So he's just, now he's talking about the present tense, the word training there. It's a present tense. It happens. It's ongoing. It's regularly. This is the life of the um, believer. And so Paul's turning from the past grace that we've experienced to present grace that we has um, now. If you know Jesus Christ this morning, when you were saved, you received Jesus Christ. You received grace. And included in that grace, well, and included in that salvation was also enablement to live like Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? He saved me by his grace, but he's also enabled me to live like his son, Jesus Christ, as well, because Jesus always said no to sin, always said yes to obedience, and now he has sent his grace to be working and training us, he says. And so God's grace is not only his method of saving us, but also sanctifying us. And if you're not sure, familiar with that fancy term, it just means this. It just means be progressively and ongoingly becoming more like Jesus Christ. And he has said he has given us he's, this is his grace to train us in that way. So you may want, this is a, a, just what I jotted down. You may want to write this down too. Grace is a power operating in believers to enable them to live like Jesus Christ. God's grace at work in us through his spirit to transform us. 
You say, I'm not sure I get that. How does that, is that true? Is it God's grace really does that? You remember when Paul writes and, and he speaks about in, in 2 Corinthians 12 and he's describing a little bit of a prayer that he had to the Lord, how hard it was, and he's describing some, some conflict and he's, he's describing a thorn in the flesh and he's asking the Lord, oh, this is hard and would you remove, would you remove, would you remove, like it is tough. And what does God respond back to him? What does God, how does Jesus respond back to him? It's written in red there in 2 Corinthians 12. He says what? He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. So grace is power. Grace is enablement. Grace is something that he not only saved us, but also sanctifies. He allows and enables us to live the Christian life and to be the person that God wants um, us um, to be. So when you think about that, grace is... It's the most powerful, one of the most amazing, one of the most supernatural words you could possibly um, imagine. Grace is able to reach you wherever you are and take you where God wants you to be. He's able to reach you where you are and take you wherever he wants you to be. Like, what do we say all the time? I say it to my kids. I say it to my family. I say, you know, it, it is only by the grace of God that I responded that way. Like, I want to respond this way. I want to live this way. But why didn't you, Ricky? Why didn't you, Daddy? But it's just the grace of God. And why didn't I go off? And why didn't you go off of your boss this week? It's only by the grace of God. He is controlling me. He is training me to, to live like he is. That's what grace is. It's a daily power available to the believer to say no to sin and say yes to obedience. Romans 6.14 speaks about this and he says that we are under grace, and this grace enables us to live holy lives, and that's what Paul is saying here. He's teaching us that grace isn't only just a deliverer from sin. He kind of changes the, the metaphor. It's not just a deliverer from sin. He's freed us from sin in verse 11. Now he's saying it's also a teacher that trains us, that nurtures us, that enables us. He Look what he says there in verse 12, to say no to sin and to live self-controlled, that is to renounce ungodliness, that's what it means to say no in worldly passions, and is to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives. That means that being saved by grace, though, you know what that means? Here's an important implication for us. That being saved by grace um, doesn't mean that we get to live however we want anymore. He says it's, it's come and it's saved us but it's also at work in us to say no to sin and yes to obedience. That's so important. Like, what are the false religions that come? What do they always say? You Christians, you always talk about free grace. You Christians, you always talk about that, this, this grace. And, and so that's a license now. You get freedom from your sin, and so you can live however you want now. And, and you can just say, oh, well, God will forgive me later. I can just live however I want. And Paul's saying, no, you don't understand grace. This grace that saves you also sanctifies you. He says right here, you don't understand grace if that's how you believe. He says grace saves but also sanctifies. And to follow Jesus Christ is to say no to ungodliness, he says. Grace trains us. Ungodliness is just living a life that has no respect for God. He says we don't live that way anymore because grace is at work in us. We don't just keep sinning and, and sinning with no thought about what God thinks. He says grace enables us to, trains us to say, no, I'm not going to live that way. He says, it says no, we say no to our, our worldly passions. Like the, that's just the desires of the world. Like what are those? Like I'm pretty sure we could probably figure those out of what he's speaking about there. 
desires of this world. We don't, we don't live controlled for, by our, our passions and passions for, for sex or passion for money or passions for revenge. Like, I don't operate that way any longer. I used to be controlled by that, but no longer. Why? Because of the grace of God. Is it working in me? Enables us, he says, to live self-controlled. That's in our passions. Enables us, he says, to live upright. That's how we treat other people. Enables us to live godly, he says. That's before the Lord. And that power is available. He's talking to every believer. That's available in you. It's available in me. That's what grace is. We just don't, if you're like me, like we just don't think about that enough. Can you imagine the difference it will make to think that, God, you have freed me from sin and you have given me this grace that enables me? I just don't think about that enough. We've been trying to do it. I've got three girls at home. You saw their picture up there. That was an Easter photo from us from this year. And, and we've got our three girls. And, and we, we tried to make this habit recently. We're not perfect at it. But every time we see our girls and, and one of our kids say no to sin and yes to ungodliness, we try to make a big deal about that. Like, we have two of our three that have made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And so when we see that, like, mom and dad told you not to do that and, and to don't put your hand in the cookie jar, and we, and, and we see them obey that, and we see them, they're saying they're, they want to put their hand in there. They want to take more dessert than they're supposed to have. And, but they see that no, mom and dad said no, and, we, and they respond and they obey. They say no to sin and yes, ungodliness. We, we, we rush to them. We say, oh, man, God is at work in you. Do you not know that it's God's grace in your life? You were tempted. Your passions were there for that cookie, but you said no. Why? Because God's at work in you. Praise the Lord. You say, why do we do that? Because we want them to start recognizing this. We want to teach them, that, hey, and to see it when it's happening and to, and to know what it is available to them and to believe it is possible for them. They do not have to live controlled by this world. Why? Because God's grace is at work in them. We're trying to bring it down to, to them. Help them to believe it. question is, though, but do, do you believe in God's grace? And you know how important that is, that you do. Heath Lambert is a guy who writes a lot about counseling, but he, he speaks about um, what Paul says in Romans 6, 11, where Paul says to count yourself, to think, to believe, and to have it in your mind. He says that you are dead to sin, but alive to Jesus Christ. Like that's something we think about. It's something we have to get a grab in our hearts. And he says, he says, this, he says, if we want to do this, it's so important. If we um, want to have God's transforming grace, if you want to have God's transforming grace, and you say, hey, I want to say no to sin, and I want to say yes to obedience, how is that possible? He said that you're going to, have to do something that most people find impossible to do, and they will not go to that place. You know, what is that? You have to go to the place, get to the spot, get to the spot where it says, Lord, I believe that I do not have to live that way. I believe that your grace is a work and in enabling me, and I do not have to say yes to sin. I just believe that. And if you're going to live the Christian, if you have any hope of that, it's going to come down to you might count that to be the change as well. Because when you do, hear me, when you do, when you begin, hey, I'm tempted in that way, I want to sin, I want to go my own way. But in that moment, you begin to think and you begin to count and you begin to believe in God's training and enabling grace. And you begin to think, Lord, I don't have to respond that way. And in that moment, that's where the battle is, isn't it? Like, I don't have to respond that way. And I can choose why. Because Ricky's strong? No, because God's grace is strong in me. And so that's what Paul tells Timothy in other places. He says what? Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Why? So the purpose of this, of saying no to sin and yes to godliness. 
All right, so like that would be like an awesome place to stop right there. Like just to think that God's grace saves me and God's grace sanctifies me. But can I tell you there's actually more here? Can you handle any more than that? I, I, I'm not sure I can. Like that's just like, God, you are so good to us. He actually tells more. All right, so these, God's grace saved us. That's past tense. God's grace is sanctifying us. That's right now in living time. But there's also a grace to come. We might call this future um, grace. And he speaks about this future grace there in the next verse 13. He says, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's saying there's a grace that is to come, and it is a grace that secures us. So we're kind of using the S words here, all right? So we've said God's grace saves us, God's grace sanctifies us, God's grace also um, secures us. He's saying there is a hope that is secure, that is waiting to come. He calls this blessed um, hope, and, and this is going to be the culmination of God's grace to us. He has saved us in the past, he is sanctifying us now, but there is coming a grace, there is coming a time where that, is going to secu- that is going to be the culmination of the grace of all grace, the hope of all hope. He calls it the blessed hope is going to come, and that's going to be the culmination. We will be in God's um, grace in that way. And he says here, we're waiting, that we're supposed to be looking for his return. I love that David had so many songs today thinking about the return of Jesus Christ. And he's saying that that's our our intention, that he has given into us to be looking for his uh, return. He says, waiting. He says, what what am I supposed to do? I'm waiting for this uh, future grace that is going um, to come. Now, when you think about the word waiting, like make sure we got the, the right idea there. This is, there's two kinds of waiting, right? There's, there's one waiting where something you're not too excited about. Like that's the waiting for the, the dentist to call you back, and he's going to do a root canal, all right? Like nobody looks forward to that, all right? Nobody's wanting. I'm sitting in the, the waiting room, and I'm hoping he does not call my name, all right? I'm wishing, hoping I get out of here, and it's been a misscheduling somehow. That's not the waiting someone here. This is a waiting anticipation. This is a waiting for something to happen, that you, your, your face is to the glass. Uh, you cannot wait for it to come. This is like the, 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 the groom that just cannot wait for his bride to come out of the chamber and to come down. He cannot wait to see her glory and her beauty. He is fired up about that. This is the waiting that you would have if you are, if you are a mom or a dad and, and your son or your daughter has been off. They've been off in battle. They've been off in war. They've been off to college. But the plane, plane is landing and you're at the airport and you cannot wait for them to get off that plane. Like, that's the waiting he is talking about. We're waiting for the return, waiting for the appearing, waiting for this future grace that God is going to bring um, to us. He says, that's what we have to wait for. He said, what are we waiting for specifically, though? He says, he says, the glory, the appearing of the glory of our God and Savior. We're longing for that. Now, I want you to camp out on that word appearing there for a second. He says it's going to appear. And this is the same word that was used earlier in verse number 11. But it's, again, it's not talking about something that hasn't existed before. It's talking about something that it has always been, but something that hasn't been revealed yet. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like if you go out on a night in the evening, and you're looking up, and you want to see the stars, but you can't see the stars because the clouds are there. And so the, the stars are in the heavens, and they've always been in the heavens, and they're there, but you just can't see them right now. They're hidden from you. But at some point, those clouds are going to move out of the way, and the, cloud, and the stars are going to be visible. They're going to appear to you. They've always been there, but now you can see them. 
He's using terminology like that here. What's he saying? He's saying that right now Jesus Christ is hidden from our sight. The, the, the glory of Jesus Christ is hidden from our sight. Like right now, do you know that Jesus is in heaven right now? And Jesus is ruling right now. And Jesus is glorious and he is exalted and he is holy and he is mighty. He is all of those things right now. But we just don't see those things. We don't see him ruling in this world. We don't see his glory manifested across the lands. We don't see his eyes of fire and his glory radiating like the Hebrew says or like the Revelation. We don't see that now. But it's true. It's there. We just can't see it. But, oh, church, here's the good news, right? There's coming a day where that's not going to be the case any longer. There's going to come a day where, they, where he is going to appear, his glory, his weightiness, his radiance, his beauty, his majesty. That's all he's always had since eternity past is there's going to be a moment he's going to appear, and we will see him as he is, the Bible says. You're going to see the weight of his person. We're going to see him not weak and humble like he came to the cross, but full of glory, full of might. You read the book of Revelation, it says that he comes, he's going to be strong and a conquering king that's going to return with eyes like fire and, and, a, and, and clothes that are, are no laundry could get them any whiter, he says. It's going to be glorious. A brilliant, shining forth. He is going to raise those to life who are in Christ Jesus. He is going to unite us with him, to be with him forever. He's going to reunite us with those believers who have gone on before us and met him. Like All those things are going to occur. You say, well, why is he telling us that? To wait for that blessed hope and this appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's saying it to motivate us. Did you catch that? He's saying it to motivate us to live this grace-filled life that he's talking about here. It's kind of like this. If think about like God's saving grace. God's saving grace is in the past. It is like pushing us forward, pushing us forward. Like God has saved you, and, and he is at work in you. His enabling grace is, is pushing us to, to, to be like Jesus Christ and to live like he did. But then he's talking about there's a future grace that's kind of like pulling us, that is ahead of us, and, it's, and our hearts are there, and our real life is there, and it's, it's pulling us, hey, you don't have, like, what, 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 why would you say yes to sin? Why would you say yes to ungodliness? Why would you say yes to your passions when none of those things can compare to the glory that is to be revealed in Jesus Christ? Say no to that and say yes, because look what is ahead of you. This is who you are, this secure hope that is yours, that none of this thing of this world has anything in him. He's calling us. He's to say it to, to motivate us. So we say present grace says that I can say no to sin and obey what God says now. Here's this, though, church. That future grace says this, though. Even in failure now, I will ultimately be victorious because Jesus has overcome. This is such good news to us. Not, this is, there's hope for us. Grace is great. Grace, future grace, this appearing, this, he calls this blessed hope. This is secure. Hope means it's secure. It is yours in Christ. It is going to happen. It is blessed. And it's this hope is great because grace, um, this future grace teaches us that one day sin is going to die. Sin is going to be no more. There's going to come a time where sin is going to be no more and we're going to rejoice in his funeral. Amen? Like, I don't rejoice to me in funerals. I rejoice on that one. It's done. It's over with. It's free. 
and I will be with Jesus Christ forever. But right now, this future grace teaches me that if yesterday's failures and yesterday's times where I did not say no to sin, I said yes to sin. And there was several bunch of those this past week in my life where I said yes to sin and no to obedience. If those things are true, and if they have you discouraged in your parenting or in your marriage, I'm not who God wants. I'm not the list that he gives in these other places. I'm not where I need to be as an older man or younger man. I'm not uh, the mom or dad or husband or wife. And, and Ricky, I'm here to talk about this grace stuff and how it trains us. And I still feel like I'm in kindergarten with these things. I, I, I'm still waiting for more of that grace operating in my life. I'm not as changed as I want to be. I'm, I'm not as progressing as fasting and sanctified as much as I want to, to be. I'm just not there um, yet. Like God takes some hope. Like if you're saying, what do I do with that? I want you to do this. God wants you to do that is to, to rest secure in grace um, today. Rest secure that this is true of you, that you are waiting for the blessed hope. And when that blessed hope comes, that sin is going to be gone and you're going to be there. And rest secure that your presence and your viewing and your uh, 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 um, participation in the glory of Jesus Christ, guess what? It is not dependent upon your glory. It's dependent upon his glory. Like because he's already done the works and he has been all the person you are to be, that you cannot be. He's done that and your participation in that glory is only by grace and only an unmerited favor that God has given to us. Mm, that's so good. God, I'm so amazed by that. Like what if we were reminded that of each other regularly? Can you imagine what amazing community of believers that would be to be reminded of that when we fail? That God's grace is still enabling you? God's grace is, is, is at work in you. And, and you know what? Guess what? There is hope for sinners like you and me. A, a blessed hope, actually, for sinners like you and me. We may, may not be where we want to be now, but we are going to be one day. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. Because of his grace. And we can get to rehearse that. It doesn't mean that we excuse sin. It doesn't mean we just let it go. But when we struggle, and we all do, we all struggle, and I struggle, we rehearse the gospel of grace. There's hope. But it should also, grace should also do one more thing. Here's the fourth point. God's grace also sends me. God's grace saves. God's grace sanctifies. God's um, grace secures. But fourth, God's grace also sends. A couple of things to consider, he says in verse 14. He says, consider this, that God has redeemed us. That means he has bought us back from sin. We've been talking about that. We were enslaved to um, our sin. A price had to be paid, and we didn't have enough money to pay for that. We didn't have enough to pay for that. If we gathered every resource we have in this entire room, we could not free ourselves or redeem ourselves from sin. The only price that would count for that was the blood of Jesus Christ. But it's been paid for us to free us. Jesus has stepped in. He's freed us from lawlessness he has purified us. He's cleansed us from our sin. And he says he has also made us a people of his own um, possession. He has treasured us. He has lavished his grace um, upon us. He has made us a, a trophy of his grace and, and to show off what he has accomplished in us. He's made us his own. We are his treasured possession. We belong to Jesus Christ. 
And he says, why has he done all these things? Why? What is the end game here? He says, to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous, he says, who will be zealous, he says, for good works. So what's the end game? Like when he says, hey, when you understand properly God's grace and all the things that we have said so far about this wonderful word, he says the end game properly understood, grace ends in good works. Not, work, not good works to get grace, but good works because the grace has been extended to us. Big difference. God, I see what you have done for me, and it motivates me. I want to live for you. And I, I love the word he says is zealous. Like zealous speaks to attitude, doesn't it? Zealous speaks to what's going on inside of your heart. Zealous speaks to why I want to do these things that God calls me to do. Why I want to be the man of God he wants me to be. Why I want to see these lists of, of things that, that he wants me to, to live out. Like why? He says to be, that you might be zealous because of grace and you understand um, that. So I just wrote this down. When grace is understood, service for God isn't a duty but it's a delight. And it only becomes a duty when Ricky is operating in the flesh rather than the grace, like the most compelling reason, the most compelling reason I can think of that, that, I, that I would want to serve the Lord is his abundant grace towards me. Like, I, I, don't, I don't understand that. I don't understand why he saved me. I, I can't, I mean, knowing my own heart, and you just know part of my heart, but knowing all of it as, as I do, I, I can't believe that he has done that. I can't believe he has freed me from my old life. I can't believe he has cleansed me from, from my old past of sins and the account that is so much that I bring to the table. He would wash me clean, clean of all of those things. Like we, I can't believe, and I hope you can't either, that we are the treasured possession of the king. Like we belong to him. We, we were something that was just out, useful for nothing, but now been brought in and said, Lord, he would use us. And, and the fact that not only that I would be allowed to do something for the king, that I would be able, that he would allow. It's like I would, I would want to. I've been saved, and God has done this for me. Like The most natural response is, God, can I please do something because I, to respond? Can I worship you in some way and to serve you in some way of what you have done? And for him to say, it's not only, Ricky, that, I, that you get to, I want you to. I'm commanding you, go in the name of Jesus Christ and to live out these works that I have established for you to walk in. Like, are you serious? He insists that we, that we do. And he says to do that with zealousness. Like, I'm leaning into. I want to. It's not a duty. It's a delight and a joy to do these things, no matter how big or small they might be. You guys know this guy, his name is John Newton, and John Newton's the man who wrote uh, Amazing Grace, and uh, if you know a little bit about John Newton, I just read up on him just recently, and, and he, uh, bef- before Jesus Christ, John was a, was a wicked man, wasn't he? He was a slave trader, he was a cussing um, sailor, I mean, he was living a, a, a pagan uh, unrepentant and, and un- ungodly life is who he was before Jesus Christ stepped into his life. And God's grace saved him. It found him. It saved him. It sanctified um, him. And it gave him the hope of heaven. And as I was reading about him, I was captivated by the story of John Newton that 
whenever the grace of God appeared into his life, like something transformed in his heart where he wanted from then on to spend his life on good works. And, and I didn't know these things about him, but the rest of his days, he, he had such a tender heart and a compassion and a love for those um, more, um, around him. And he was in, in tender towards children. He invited the depressed who, or depressed who were around him to come spend time with him. He found the, the needy, he said, I just want to invest um, in you. And he would meet with kids on Thursday afternoons to teach them the word of God. This man whose heart was so hardened before now is bringing the lowest and, the, and the, the most marginalized says, come on in. I want to minister to you in the name of, of Jesus Christ. And he would take these ones into his house and care for them for months on end. And he would write in his journals in places that I, I barely had an hour to spend, but it didn't feel like that because I was just serving the king and my heart was zealous for these works that, he was, that God had called him to do. And that's just grace. It work in us. It sends us. So church, let me ask you, do you... Do you have God's grace? Do you know that? And if you do, if you know these things, do you extend that to, to others? Do you give that to them? Like, I know what I'm about to say. This is not how it works in heaven, okay? But I know that when we get to heaven, it's not going to work where we look back on, on our life and we think back and we have regrets. I, I know that's not the case. But just for a moment, think if, if it was the case. Like, there I am in heaven, and I'm, I'm worshiping the Savior who, who freed me, who saved me, who sanctified me, who gave me his grace, all the things that he has done, and now I'm basking in his glory. And I can't help but think, I know it's not the way it's going to work. I, not, it's not something, you know, Pastor Ricky is not saying that we're going to be able to have these regrets and sinful thoughts when we get to heaven. But, it, but oh, like you can't help but think, well, man, did I give grace to as many people as I possibly could, knowing that what I get to experience now? Whenever I was a little boy, <laughs> the next-door neighbor from us had this amazing pool. And it had a diving board that was there. And for a little boy, he's like seven years old. Like, that was heaven. Like, I wanted to get over there. And I, and I saw my friends and my neighbors, and they would go, and they're jumping into the pool, and they're jumping off the diving board. They're having the time of their life, and they're swimming and splashing and and there I am on the front porch, and I'm just watching you, like, just like, I wish I was you. I wish I was there. Could you, could you still invite me over just for a few minutes? I won't stay long. I just want to come over and jump and have the fun and experience what you're experiencing and the joy that's on your face. I just want a little bit of that. And to think, church, that we have been swimming. If you know Jesus Christ, you are swimming in the grace that God has given to you. Do you know that? He has saved you and freed you from all of your sin. He has given a grace that's operating inside of you to transform you. And he, you have heaven as your home as you are going to be in his glory. This is the world we live in. We have grace for one another that, is, that the world does not know. We have, and we're swimming in it and breathing it and enjoying it. And, and the question we have to ask then is, then, Lord, who, who has not taken a dip in that? And who is outside of your grace that you might use me to deliver it to them? I want you to come on in. I want you to know what I know. I want you to know this grace that God has given to me. And just think about that. Lord, who is that that you might send me to be a conduit of what you've given to me? And maybe just reflect on that and ask that God might speak to those things and wow you by his grace, but also stir up a zealousness inside of your own heart for good works. Maybe most pressingly, Lord, if I have known your grace so well, who do I know that has not experienced that, that I can give that to them? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this truth. 
Thank you what is ours in Christ Jesus. We thank you for these things that are ours that we do not deserve. And for the life of us, we cannot understand why you would lavish it so much upon us. Lord, our hearts are overwhelmed by that. I pray that we are. If we're not, Lord, would you do that? And even now, I think, how could we be? How, these, how can these things be? Knowing who we are, knowing who you are, something doesn't match here. But God, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your enablement. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, that has appeared to us. And Lord, the light of the gospel has shined into our hearts. And God, would we live our lives faithfully. Lord, we bask in your glory, reflect upon your grace, and Lord, worship you. And Lord, give it away. And Lord, freely we have received. Oh Lord, freely give, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.